I think when I started butchering, I never knew that it would amount to anything like this. To me, it was just a job, but now it's a career. Now it's, it's taken me all over the world as well. So that still kind of blows my mind. A butcher flown over to Ireland to compete against teams from all around the world. The world is your oyster and just be proactive about it. Now, we've got an amazing new podcast coming up uh, with Billy and Mitch called Next on the Menu, which I think is a terrific way to showcase you know, us looking into the future of food and the progressive nature that we want to take as a pork industry. So, Mitch, you know, your background's been um, long and varied in this industry. How did you get into it originally? I came from three generations of butchers, so went into the butchering world and had my own shops, then got out of those, had a wholesale food business. Pork was always front and centre. But then I joined, not so much pork, Meat and Livestock Australia. I was with those for many years, and I represented them in the US for almost nine years before I came back and joined Australian pork 17 years ago. What a great stint. Well, it keeps me passionate. The Australian pork producers are amazing, hardworking people. There's no glamour in being the pork industry. It's business, and it brings genuine people. So that's what got me here, Billy. But what got you here? You've got an incredible past of all sorts of crazy things including something with a butch shop in the early days. Yeah, look, I, I think my father, who was in logistics uh, in uh, John Sands Greeting Cards, uh, one of the ladies that worked for him, her husband was a butcher, so it was always interesting uh, around that. But then my gap year at uni was working for a friend's dad's small goods wholesaler. So back then I spent a year driving trucks, um, going around to the likes of Batoki in Thomastown in Melbourne and Castle in North Melbourne, and, and we'd go and pick up all the small goods beforehand and pre-pack it for the guys that went around in their smaller trucks to all the delis and stuff every week. So they'd come in at three o'clock yeah. and we would have pre-packed everything for them so that they could just, you know, have a beer and just sneak off. So in the old days, they'd also have to go to every one of those at the end of their long day. So that got me interested. And then obviously through my marketing and advertising career, I've been lucky enough to work in most of the other areas of agriculture, except for pork. Uh, you know, I, I worked for a long time with KFC, so got to know the chicken industry very well. Most recently at Publicis, I was, uh, we had the Buller business with dairy. Did quite a lot with MLA as well, from a strategic point yep. of view, back in the early 2010s. And then, um, yeah, it was great to get a call around, uh, you know, the Australian Pork Board's always had a marketer on the board. We obviously spend a fair bit of our uh, money on that. So that's how I got involved in Australian Pork nearly three years ago and became chair a year ago. So, yeah, really great. Um, and I think just looking into where the industry's going. I'm really excited about this podcast and having a bit of fun with you at the same time. I think it's going to be great information to feed back to our producers because our producers need to be absolutely future prepared so we can take whatever comes our way in this crazy world. Enough about the good old days. Let's throw back to 2020 and introduce our next guest. I can still remember the first time I met young Luke Layson, full of passion, a contagious an energetic, wicked sense of humour, Luke manages Goodwood's quality meats in Adelaide by day, but by night, with the hundreds of hours he seems to find in the day, he posts on social, he networks, and he perfects his craft. Being from South Australia, it is no surprise that Luke would have a love of all things local, and the Goodwood's bookshop has absolutely tapped into this market. Yet on the flip side, Luke has loads of global insights, given his role in the Australian Steelers, our national butchering team that competes in the World Butchers Challenge against 15 other nations. Welcome to Next on the Menu, Luke. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Now, mate, you're very young and you've achieved so many incredible things. Tell us about how your passion for butchery started. 
Well, I started in the industry when I was 13. I was a cleanup kid, which is- um, Me too. Yeah, how, <laughs> yeah. how most butchers start off. But if you're going to say where does the passion come from, it'd probably be, I guess, when I started at Google Quality Meats, probably six or seven years ago now. So uh, it's just a real foody area. Like the other butchers I work with as well, they kind of really push each other to do the best they can. So I would say the passion for butchery and to excel as a butcher was when I started there. I think as a kid, I always wanted to do work with food. And I think a chef always came to mind because it's probably the only the only avenue I thought I could go down. So at the start of it, I was going to use butchering as a bit of a stepping stone to become a chef. But as I got into it, I started to love it and started to get good at it. And it started taking me places that I'd never really thought to I could get. Now, one of those places, and I was telling my 13-year-old before I left home this morning that uh, I was talking to a TikTok sensation today and she was like, what? But, you know, you are at the Sausage King, the underscore sausage underscore king on TikTok. Now, we're talking like millions of views of your butchery videos. How did you get into that as well? TikToks, it's a wild, wild world out there on TikTok. It's, um, I guess, just with the videos, it's such a different format where quick videos are key and, I guess, on you can only post a minute maximum on TikTok. So it is capturing your audience very quickly and trying to get them to stick around and watch the whole video because you can quite easily just sit there. And I've been subject to it as well. You just sit there and you just scroll and you scroll and you lose hours on the day. But I guess because it is such a, uh, a young format as well and there's a lot of young people on there, I thought it would be a good opportunity for me to show like 12, 13-year-olds or that are really into food, that butchering is a great career and a great way to go down. So that was my thought process behind it anyway. And I mean, you do you do get consumed in some of these social media outlets, but I think it's the way of the future and it's a really good way to, to show your craft and to show your butchering. Do you think maybe it's a little bit that you are a show-off at all, buddy? <laughs> hey? Oh, you got, you got to have a bit of showmanship about you if you um, want to put these things out there. I'm not going to lie. You have to kind of put up with a lot of keyboard warriors, but at the same time, you do get, I mean, I've had plenty of kids on there say, hi, you know, I'm a cleanup kid at my local butcher shop. Like, can you show me this? Which is really nice to connect to users like that. You just have to filter out all the other crap sometimes as well. And given that it's got like a, such a worldwide platform, it actually leverages into the fact that you are part of the World Butchers Challenge in the Australian Steelers. So tell the audience about the World Butchers Challenge and the Australian Steelers. So the um, yeah the World Butcher Challenge is it's a massive event. If you're going to sum it up really quickly, it's basically the Meat Olympics. So we've been very fortunate to um, there's 16 teams in there now from all across the country. And I guess I first started when it was uh, only only 12 in Ireland. So I went to Ireland in um, 2018. But it's just um, yeah competing against other other butchers from around the world. It's a three hours and 15 minute platform. Uh, you're in a team of six, six other butchers. Uh, you start off with a side of beef, a whole pig, whole lamb, and a few chickens as well. Basically, the aim is in that three hours and 15 minutes is to create as many products as you can and basically put on a display that's going to drop the jaw of the judges and hopefully take out first prize. Is it very competitive? Like, you know, is it a bit like, you know, when you're on that sort of world stage, a bit like sport? Does it get quite competitive? And what, what are you thinking about as you lead up to it? What's your preparation like for that sort of thing? Well, as a team, we get together. We um, do a lot of practices on the, the Gold Coast as a team. So when we go into the event, we know exactly what we have to do and our role in the team. But on the day itself, yeah, it is. I mean, I like to cause a bit of rift between us and the, the Kiwis. 
always say to them, I don't, I don't mind where we come as long as it's one above you. But it's always good to have a bit of friendly banter against some countries as well. But I think with deep histories with other countries, there's a lot more angst and anger with some of the other countries as well, which is always good to see. There's a lot look like a big rivalry between some of the other countries. But I mean, as Australians, we're probably pretty laid back, but we like to stir it a bit as well. But it's all re- also about, like the CEO was quoted about saying that he wanted the competition to make rock stars out of butchers. And I feel that that's something that absolutely can happen because you look at chefs going back 15 years ago, chefs were just chefs. Now they are rock stars. Butchers should be the same. Can you tell us a bit more about his philosophy in that area? I think it's a great way to look at it. I mean, we draw a lot of inspirations from chefs and they're all over the media. They're on TV shows, radio, podcasts, just everywhere, basically. And I think producers are getting a bit uh, the limelight as well now because of such an amazing job they're doing but there's that middleman the the butcher in the middle there which i think if we can take a step back from the chefs and just highlight how it gets to the restaurants that few steps in between hand how the the butcher you know because it is a craft and it's a it's an old craft and it's it's very uh skillful i find anyway so i think it's just to highlight the butchers and to maybe put them in the public eye so the public can see how much work does actually go into that as well like the big bash do you get a theme song or do you, you know do you, you come out with the with the music playing or if not what what have you got in your head with that rock yeah, star theme we had all um everyone had theme tunes in ireland like all the teams did ours was uh rose tattoo oh, really? oh. can't be beaten so that was a bit of a <laughs> nice. an aussie classic to go out but if i could have music playing the whole way through that would be amazing but i think when i get in competition mode I blank out everything around me because there's a lot of spectators yelling and there's other teams yelling at each other. Like we keep good communication between the six butchers competing, like in our team. And but other than that, I just I was just trying to remember it the other day, and it was I just couldn't really hear any background noise, which I would I wouldn't mind listening to a bit of music, but yeah, I just kind of blank it all out. Well, obviously, in 2018, you did get into the zone because you guys, the Australian Steelers, against all of the English and Irish, all those guys who claim to be the originator of the pork sausage, you guys won the best pork sausage. What was that pork sausage, and do you still sell it? Uh, So it was pork, truffle, and provolone, and we do still sell it in the shop. It's one of our best sellers. I think um, once you tell one of your customers, you know, would you like to try the world's best sausage, you can't. Even if those flavor profiles doesn't really, you know, inside them that much, but they're going to have to try it because it's the world's best. So we've got one of the trophies in the shop as well because we don't want to be known. There's a lot of titles thrown out there like world's best pizza shop and all this, like world's best this, and it's like an in-house survey. But we've got to really show the customers like, no, no, this is actually a competition, and we actually versed a lot of other sausage-making countries. So yeah, give it a go. But it was a big accolade, and we everyone was pretty pumped in the team to get that one as well. Obviously, you know, we're living through these COVID times and um, thankfully butcher stores are something that is seen as an essential service and have been able to remain open. But you got much, you know, with those that can't get to the store in Adelaide at the moment, is there a chance to buy some of that online or how, how have you gone sort of working through some of those issues through these times? Yeah, so when it all kind of kicked off, we offered a lot of different avenues to be able to pick up meats. So you could either obviously come to the shop like normal call ahead and put a phone order in so that way we can have it ready for you so you know their time spent it outside isn't high uh, we did like a park and purchase so again place an order pay over the phone and we'll just run it out to the car park and 
they'll pop their boot and we put it straight in there. So it's zero contact. But we don't offer uh, delivery services such. We do to the local oldies and stuff like that that couldn't quite come out. But um, yeah, we just try to make as many different avenues as possible. So it made it easier for everyone, all the consumers. I mean, it made it harder for us, but that's what we're there for. We're there to help out our customers and especially in a time where no one really knew what was happening and no one had experienced it before. We just had to, I guess, do a bit of comforting for our customers and you know, let them know that we're not going to run out of produce. They're still going to be able to eat and we're going to make it as easy as possible for them to get the meats. Hey, just before we, we sort of move on from the World Butchers Challenge, what, we talked about the pork sausage. What's your other signature style? Like what else are the six of you looking to do that you think differentiates you from the market and the other countries, you know, envy a little bit? Well, I think in the sense of products, uh, especially in 2018, we had a lot of ready-to-cook products, so things you pop in the oven for, say, half hour to 45 minutes, really quick and easy products. And that, I guess, like New Zealand have some of that as well because we're so close to each other in that aspect. But the other teams, such as France and Italy, there's a lot of traditional specs to them, so they like to go back to what they know and you know, there's uh, one way to do butchery for them. But I think with us, we take them from all different cultures. So because Australia is such a multicultural country, we can take different flavor profiles from a lot of different countries, which that's probably the positive for us. It's probably our kind of gets us over the line, I think, at the end of it. But mate, one thing that I'm well aware of around the world, people have pork as their most eaten meat and we're uh, catching up, but we're still behind. Seems we've got a whole lot of pork producers listening. What do you find from guys internationally, whether it be different cutting lines, different usages for pork that we can pick up here and and benefit our industry with? Well, I think especially in the butcher shop that I'm at at the moment, we do a lot of small goods and smoking and stuff in house, and that's where a lot of our pork goes to in sales. We probably sell a lot more of um, uh, small goods in the way of pork rather than fresh pork, I'd say, in our shop. But looking at the other countries as well. I think it comes down to, yeah, just the value-added, easy-to-cook meals. It's so versatile that you can do a lot with it. It can be sweet. It can be savory. I know the like the charcuterie is big as well, and I think that was brought in with the French and the um, Italians in their kind of displays as well. So it's good to have a look at that and see what we can bring to our shops. Mate, something that's very dear to my heart is the Australian small goods and the country of origin labelling has tried to help along the way. How aware are your consumers that not all product that they're buying is made from Australian pork? Uh, like majority of small goods are made from imported pork, which is a real issue. And it's a big push that we've had, particularly in South Australia, trying to get the message out. Are your consumers aware and are they asking for a country of origin? I think it's come to their minds lately as such, but I think at the start, I know Australia Pork have put out a a lot of commercials and stuff like that highlighting that fact i think at the start people were quite shocked to learn that it wasn't all australian pork i think consumers just assume um and we all know if you assume it makes an ass out of you and me but yeah i think they're quite shocked about it so we had to really i mean we had put a bit a few signs in the shop and we had people come in and ask us is your small goods made out of australian pork and of course for us as a small butcher shop it is but i just think they're really shocked to know that it wasn't in the in a larger scale I just want to pick up on some of the trends that are going on in what you see in the butcher's store because, you, you know, you're a millennial, you're closely connected to that group that's coming through. I mean, what are some of the trends you're seeing in meat consumption and, and you know, do you get many young people in, into the store? Yeah, we actually have a, like, obviously 
we've got probably about three generations that shop at our shop because it's been there since 1963. So one of the other guys, he's he's serving three generations of people. But we are seeing young couples and, and young people come in as well, which is good to see. And I try to really give them time of day and answer as many questions as possible because, I mean, we all know it's quite convenient to go to a supermarket or something like that, but we want to bring them in to us and share our knowledge with them and kind of help them through their food journey as such. So if they've got any any problems cooking any of the cuts, we want to be there and trusted, I guess, by them. So it is good to see yeah, young people kind of come back into butch shops and seek us out and come and support us. And I think especially for them, pork is it's a great protein at the moment because it's a good price point compared to some of the other uh, proteins, which I know everything's always going up, with, especially with the drought and the fires and grain prices and everything like that. But pork has seemed to come under the other like lambs and beef. Yeah. And you know me well enough to know that I'm very selfish and getting back to pork was exactly where I wanted to get to. I'm really curious to know, and I think our producers need to know, what feedback are you getting from consumers, whether it's good, bad or indifferent? What are they thinking with pork? What do they like about the pork? What are they not liking? What are they asking for more of or less of? We obviously seen a big surge of the American low and slow cuisine. So slow cuts like ribs, uh, pork neck, have been a big hit and I think because people are seeing that on social media and all over the internet and I guess TV shows as well that that's become very popular but I was just chatting to my girlfriend the other day as well and we're talking about you know what can we like you know make for dinner and stuff like that and the pork is big in our household because it is versatile either way you can do so many different cuisines with it but it can be sweet sour and that's where I think sometimes my vision might get a bit blurred because I do live in a bit of a foodie household and I'm in part of the industry. So I pay attention to a lot of pork recipes and I see pork all over my newsfeed and when I'm at work. So it is, I think, like a great cut to get into, but it is changing the perception of what it probably was when, say, my parents cooked it and they used to just cook the absolute crap out of it. And it wasn't the producer's fault. It was parents that just wanted to cook it not in, I guess, an amazing way, I, I feel. So I think recipes and everything like that is good to give out to your customers because you don't want them to come in and buy a beautiful cut of pork and then go home, not know how to cook it, ruin it, and think, oh, well, I'm not going to buy that again because it was terrible. What is your go? And it sounds like you cook a lot of different recipes with pork, but what's your go-to? What's your absolute heavenly pork dish? Well, I cooked a pork roast last night, actually, for my uh, father for his birthday. So I think... Out of all things, I know it's very traditional and it's very um, stock standard, but I just think some people have trouble cooking roast, but I can't fathom that it's just, it's just such an easy thing to cook, but it's just so amazing and it kind of brings everyone around. I think everyone loves it, so it's a it's an easy dish to cook. I completely agree with you. It's a big hit in our house. So just uh, I just want to pick up. You, you talked, you know, a lot about you know we, we have got a challenge in a way to convince people about all these different opportunities for pork. How do you think we can tell that story a bit better? I mean, you're clearly a great storyteller through what you're doing with TikTok. What are some of the opportunities for us as the pork industry to, to get that message out there? Well, I think like from what I've seen, it's definitely on the way. I don't think it's one thing that we can do, but it's a lot of little things. So whether it be you know recipe cards giving out, which we've got from some of our producers for us just to as butchers to keep cooking different cuts of pork so we know how to cook it. Therefore, we can give our knowledge on to the consumers as well. I just think it's, yeah, it's going to be a lot of little things to, to add up and just slowly, it's going to be a slow burn because you you have to change the perception of what it was in England and when, you know, my parents probably 
got fed pork and it was you know you had to um cook it all the way through but i think it's just yeah it's just little little things that um add up and will probably change the perception in the in the big picture and speaking of perception like what is your perception that uh, of what the future is for butchering where do you see it going in the future well I'm, I'm like really excited to be a butcher in this current time i think when i first started my apprenticeship i got a bit of slack from you know friends saying you know you, you know, your parents you know, sent you to a good school like you think you could maybe amount to something better and i thought oh that's a bit this is a bit rough but i think the way it's going now it's become a bit niche to be a butcher like it is a cool trade to get into especially in these times you know we're essential workers so we're always going to be in a job but i think it is especially in some people's eyes it is a bit of a craft and it is a bit of a skill to be a butcher and i think going back into those trades is something cool i, I like to think that you know i enjoy my work and i constantly when i go out or tell people that I'm a butcher, there's always a hundred questions coming in about it. So I feel like people are uh, interested in butchers and what we do. And especially in our industry, there's a lot of exciting things happening, but I just think we need to get that into the public eye and show the public what butchers can do and what we're up to. And so the World Butchers Challenge and, and everything like that. So therefore, like, it gets it out in the open and then the, the public can kind of see, you know, what we do for work and like push us out into the limelight a bit more. For young people, you know, you said you kicked off at 13, I think. And what sort of advice would you give to some of our young people who want to pursue a career in meat and butchery? Well, I was lucky enough to, um, my dad actually got me my job as a cleanup kid, as a butcher. And then it kind of, I fell into it from there. But if you've got a dying you know, aspiration to be a butcher, it's the best thing to go is just go to your local butcher shop, have a resume, or just go in there and ask if they, they got any work going. So I think the sooner you get started, the quicker you can start doing the things that you love in butchering. There's always like short courses at TAFE as well that can get your foot in the door, but just be proactive about it. Just get out there, go to your butcher shops around your area, and just try to get your foot in the door and then go from there because I think when I started butchering, I never knew that it would amount to anything like this. To me, it was uh, when I first started, it was just a job. But now it's a career. Now it's, it's I, I enjoy waking up every morning to go to the butcher shop and to practice my craft. I mean, it's taken me all over the world as well. So that still kind of blows my mind, a butcher flown over to Ireland to compete against teams from all around the world or going to New Zealand to ballot out with them. So... Yeah, I mean, the, the world is your oyster and just, yeah, be proactive about it. And that's great to hear because we, we need more of you, a youth in our meat industry, to talk about how amazing our industry is. Uh, too many people uh, feel now that they have to go down a certain path and they don't see the meat industry as being the great opportunity that it is. But based on that, Luke, we've actually, um, speaking to our audience, we've told them ahead of time that you're going to be on today and they um, sent us loads of questions of which you've covered most of them but one that seems that we haven't got into is um, when we look at butcher shops and restaurants in particular this home delivery ordering online has become such a big thing how do you see the future of butchery when we think now as far as shops with bricks and mortar do you see that being the future or do you think we could have like there's dark kitchens could there be dark butcher shops where they just don't have a a presence and it's all online i think especially with butchers it's the 
I mean, I remember going to a butcher shop as a, a kid, and especially here in South Australia, you get a slice of Fritz, which is maybe Devon or bologna in the eastern states. But it's kind of the, I guess, the experience as well. I mean, people still go out and eat at restaurants because they enjoy their night out and they enjoy being in that environment. I feel, yes, there is a way for butchers to go more online, but then you take out that face value as well and the customer relationship you have with your butcher. So I would really love to see bricks and mortar butcher shops still there. I feel like that's it's traditional enough, but we do have to look into the future and think what else can we do to stay relevant, which I see a lot of young butchers now that do own their own shops and they are doing that, which is great to see around Australia. We still have to just keep evolving as butcher shops. So do love the fact of bricks and mortar butcher shops, but I can completely understand that we need to look forward and keep progressing, keep evolving to stay relevant in, in the industry and yeah, in the consumer driven um, society that we live in. I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, butcher shops have always provided one of the great customer experiences and I think um, that will continue and I also believe that there's uh, at times when uh, when consumers will want to jump online and buy something or do some takeaway. So, Luke, look, it's been fantastic speaking with you today. Uh, uh, you know, for me, you know, great to hear somebody who, uh, a bit like my sporting icons and favourite musicians, is uh, is up there on the world stage. The fact that we've got so many incredible and talented young Aussies representing our pork producers in that way is pretty incredible. I'm so glad we got to share that with all of our listeners today. Again, if you're checking out the uh, somewhat controversial TikTok, look up Luke, as I said, at the underscore sausage underscore king, or for those on Instagram, just at Luke Layson, uh, L-E-Y-S-O-N. So you can follow Luke and, and catch up with all that he's doing. So once again, a huge thanks, Luke, and, and thanks for talking to us today on Next on the Menu. Beautiful. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Luke. Take care, buddy. Thank you. Now, before we wrap things up, Mitch, what stopped you in your tracks this week? Billy, I have to say what has really hit me this week in these crazy times of COVID lockdowns and border closures, so we're surrounded by, quite frankly, winners and losers. And in the pig industry, we are right bang smack in the middle. With our food retailing industry, they're generally in boom times, but our hospitality sector are pivoting and adapting, and at best, while many are struggling to survive, or in some cases not, it just drives home that we need to look out for each other, look after each other, and see what we can do to help everyone get through this situation as best we can. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think... It has shown an enormous amount of resilience and uh, I think people have been incredibly agile and adaptive, but uh, we do need to look out for all of each other in the industry. For me, I had a really good catch up with Bernie Brooks the other day, who's the chairman of DOTS. Many of you know that he was the CEO of Maya for many years and he now sits on many boards and uh, and advises people. But DOTS, D-O-T-Z, it's a traceability business and uh, they're doing a lot. And it just struck me, you know, with the issues around African swine fever around the world, you know, we, we really need to make sure that any of these traceability options that we can have, um, not only I think can they drive efficiencies through our industry, but they can also help us, you know, as we're seeing with COVID from a human side, you know, even even the best intentions of tracing apps and things, you know, haven't quite been as good as they can. So using this as an opportunity to make sure that, um, you know, from both a biosecurity point of view, but also I think there's a great story to tell, um, you know, if we're able to trace product from, you know, classic paddock to plate. So so I'm quite interested in, in where a lot of these businesses go and they're, and they're just one of them. But it, uh, yeah, yeah, really interesting chat with him. And we've done some great work in that area, but there's so much more going on and we just really need to make sure we stay ahead of the curve so that we can trace product all the way back from a consumer's fridge 
to the farm the product came from, and I think we'll get there. But Billy might wrap up on that now. Indeed. Thank you so much for tuning in to Next on the Menu, and a big thank you to our rockstar butcher, Luke Layson, and my co-host, Billy Baxter. And I'd also like to thank our producers, Boyd Britton and Ashley Gray, and to the producers of Australian Pork who have helped to guide the conversation today. The podcast can be found on all good podcast networks such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Swoot. You can also find Next on the Menu across all Australian pork social channels or at our website, pork.com.au. I'm Mitch Edwards. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time at Next on the Menu.